This podcast was recorded Thursday, November 3rd at 9.31 a.m. Things may have changed by the time you hear it. Yeah, like Fox News anchors will be tough on Republican candidates. And MSNBC will be tough on Democrats. They are kind of more tougher than Fox's on GOP guys. It's still not that tough. Let's talk politics. This is Snollygoster, WOSU Public Media's weekly update on those Snollygosters or shrewd politicians who spend billions of dollars desperately seeking your vote every election cycle. And we are proud to say we are tough on everyone. I'm Steve Brown. Yes, we are. And I'm Mike Thompson. Coming up in the program, we will talk to one of the state lawmakers behind Issue 2. That's a wide-reaching state constitutional amendment proposal on voting that critics call unnecessary. But first, we are days away from the end, the end of the 2022 campaign. That's right. Just five days away at this point. One more weekend of nonstop political ads during football games. If the polls are correct, and that is a, a pretty big caveat these days, but if the polls are correct, the big races still up for grabs are for U.S. Senate and probably Ohio's Supreme Court. Yeah, Governor Mike DeWine has led by big margins over his challenger Nan Whaley, and nothing has changed in the past week. So it looks like DeWine will win a second term. The only question now is how close Nan Whaley will come. The Ohio Supreme Court race is tougher to track because there has not been that much public polling. A poll done by Spectrum News and Siena College published last week shows Democrat Jennifer Bruner and Republican Sharon Kennedy basically tied. We don't have any new polling on the other races. That is Republican Pat DeWine and Democrat Marilyn Zayas and Republican Pat Fisher and Democrat Terry Jamison. Now, the U.S. Senate race is the one that everyone continues to watch very closely, and it remains very close. The last two tracking polls by the firm Signal have Vance maintaining that five-point lead that is just outside the margin of error, so it is an actual lead. Other polls have the race statistically tied. Maybe it was the poll numbers that prompted Tim Ryan to agree to a Fox News interview a week before the election. He appeared at a special Fox News town hall held in Columbus. Ryan and Vance did not debate. They appeared separately. And it's fair to say that Fox News anchors were tougher on Ryan than they were on Vance, but each candidate still got their message out to what was likely a, a more conservative audience. They disagreed on immigration, the Inflation Reduction Act, and of course, abortion. They were also asked about threats to democracy. Ryan tried to tie Vance to the January 6th insurrection. They stormed the Capitol on January 6th. They beat up 140 police officers, killed, killed one, Okay, they killed what they killed one. Fact check there, the officer did not die directly from injuries he suffered at the attack. He suffered a stroke, but the coroner ruled the events of that day contributed to that fatal stroke. Vance himself continued to tread just over the 2020 election was stolen line. Here's how he explained his position. Here's what I worry about. So so two things in particular. So number one, a number of state courts, including lower courts in the state of Pennsylvania, have found they didn't conduct their election in accordance with their own state constitution, in accordance with their own state laws. That's not me making it up. That's actually what these lower courts have held. Well, you want important battleground states to do what Ohio's done, which is run free and fair elections, consistent, secure elections. That's really, really important. The second thing that I really worry about, and you hear a lot in America, people worried about our democracy, worried about threats to our democracy. I happen to think the biggest threat to American democracy today is big technology companies, 
in bed with the communist Chinese who are censoring information about a fact check on Vance's claims about Pennsylvania courts. A lower court last January did rule that Pennsylvania's no excuse mail absentee ballot system was unconstitutional. However, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court overturned that ruling in August and said it is constitutional and federal courts have ruled in favor of Pennsylvania's system, finding it constitutional and finding no evidence of widespread fraud and certainly no evidence that Donald Trump won the 2020 election. No, there's an example of how politicians do not lie, but they just leave out the inconvenient facts. J.D. Vance did not lie. Lower courts in Pennsylvania did rule the absentee ballot system was unconstitutional, but that ruling did not hold up. The state Supreme Court in Pennsylvania ruled it was constitutional. So that's why you need fact checkers at these debates. And Republicans went to myriad other courts trying to overturn those rulings. Anyway, it's just I I, I thought the uh, town hall was interesting. Definitely it was a more... I wouldn't say hostile, but a more aggressive uh, oh, yeah. crowd for for Tim Ryan. Yeah, but I think he also got some applause on certain things. Abortion issue, he got applause in that audience. Legalizing marijuana, he got applause in that audience. His goal was to go on Fox News, hope that there were some Ohio conservative, independent voters watching that broadcast, perhaps are still undecided, and would vote for him. J.D. Vance was probably just trying to shore up his support among those moderate, independent, conservative voters by appearing on that town hall. So it probably served both candidates well. My guess is it served Tim Ryan a little bit better. Yeah, I just don't know if Ryan's anti-Vance message with that crowd really holds much water. I, I don't. I, I think they're they're here for the culture wars. I think they're they're there for immigration. I think they're there for abortion. And I, I don't think any of his criticism on Vance on those issues is really that strong. And his, I mean, his position on abortion is, um, it changes quite frankly in, in front of what audience he is. I mean, it's, it's not that he's not changing the actual facts of his stance, but as you say, he's, um, leaving out parts as, as well, they often do. Well, Tim Ryan has gone from anti-abortion yeah. early in his career mm-hmm. and to being a little fuzzy on when he thinks abortion should be banned. Right now, his stance is codify Roe versus Wade, which is and basically then, 20, 22 weeks into a pregnancy, and then allow for exceptions only for the life of the woman Late after into pregnancy, that. right. J.D. Vance, has he was very much anti-abortion in the primary. Now he is saying he would support what is the 15-week abortion ban being proposed by Lindsey Graham, the senator from South Carolina, a national 15-week abortion ban. That's what Vance says he now would support with some exceptions for the life of the woman. Yeah, I um, I don't, I, I doubt this moved the needle much. Like you say, maybe maybe Tim Ryan did a bit better. I don't know. Um, it was certainly an interesting venue. It was held at the Fives here in Columbus, a bar here in, in Columbus, and um, definitely, it's not not a not a Republican area where they held the debate or the the, the town hall. Yeah, I mean, Fox it's, said they got a uh, a group of. You know, right. undecided or, or you know, bipartisan audience. And both candidates got cheers. I think Ryan probably got more booze than J.D. Vance Yeah, I'm pretty did. confident that guy in the camouflage hat does not actually live in the Grandview area. <laughs> well, you never know. I, you never know, but I just it didn't strike me as a um, as a Grandview area so audience. How but. do you, I mean, how, what's the view from Richwood on this race? Are people paying attention? No, I don't think they are. I think they're, uh, they're, they're angry about all the political ads during the Ohio State football games. It's certainly not an issue that has come up in um, – in non-political circles, if you will, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of debate about this at, at local, 
Democratic and re- and Republican organizations. But if I'm just having a beer in a garage with a friend, I don't. I have not talked about this race a single time. What's their number aside from politics? What's their big concern right now as far as the state we're in? Is it? Oh, certainly the economy. The economy. I mean, everybody you talk about is just talking about the the exorbitant prices you're paying at the grocery store. Um, propane is a big issue where we live in in rural Ohio. You have to have propane. You don't have natural gas lines running through every part of the state, and prices are up there. Um, it's the economy everywhere, right? I mean, it's the economy, stupid, right? The old, yep. the old, from the 1990s. Yeah, I think this is just going to be a standard midterm election after a change in power at the White House. And when that happens, the party that won the White House tends to lose significant ground in Congress the two years that follow. I don't see this being any different, especially with inflation the way it is. Now, the, the unemployment rate is way down. And People are spending money. You see the profits from airlines. People are traveling. Planes are packed. Hotels mm-hmm. are expensive, but people are staying in them. Airline revenues are through the roof right now. Yeah. So people are spending money, and they are many people, many people who are fortunate, are able to spend money and don't mind the added costs. But a lot of people are struggling, and they do see that price of milk at the grocery store, and they drive by that gas station, and they see the price of a gallon of gas and your heating costs and things like that. Do you think... Joe Biden in any way whatsoever moved the needle on Wednesday night with his speech about democracy. He's he's very clearly trying to make this midterm a referendum on the state of democracy. That's been a criticism of the Democratic strategy. We'll see if it works or not. They basically are, it's kind of the kitchen sink approach. They are really stressing abortion. They're stressing threats to democracy. They are talking about don't like Obama president former president Obama was saying don't elect people who still deny the 2020 election some say that is a way to motivate in certain classes of voters who are concerned about those issues critics say it's a very disjointed message yeah and they should stick to one message but what are you going to stick to you know vote for us because inflation's at nine percent that's not going to work <laughs> uh, no I I, I think Threats to democracy are their strongest platform right now. In the abortion issue. I think to motivate... With, with a certain crowd, yeah. yeah. To motivate, you know, women. And most people believe that... 65% believe that abortion should be legal in in most cases. Yeah. But that decision was back in late June. And memories fade. We'll see how much they have faded and if it is motivating, it's really a wild card. That's the that's the difference between this midterm election and past midterm elections is they, there are these big issues out there that are of major concern to a significant portion of the electorate, not the most, not a plurality, certainly. That's still the economy. But abortion and threats to democracy are still big issues to, you know, basically 20 percent each uh, in polls. We'll see what happens. We're it's going to be an interesting election night. Yeah, Tim Ryan has a is a is is got a tough road. This is still a yeah. red state or pink or whatever you want to call it. It is pink, yeah. Certainly in this race, it's pink. Anyway, we'll be right back. You're listening to a WOSU Public Media podcast. Everything you hear is funded by listeners like you. Become a member of WOSU Public Media today and support digital content like Snolly Goster and the All Sides with Ann Fisher podcast. Make a gift at WOSU.org. 
Welcome back to Snollygoster from WOSU Public Media. The races for governor and U.S. Senate have gotten most of the headlines this election cycle, but Ohioans also casting ballots on some statewide issues. Today, we're going to look at issue two. It would make Ohio the seventh state in the nation to explicitly ban non-citizens from voting in elections. Now, Ohio's Constitution already says you have to be a citizen to vote, but some cities, including Yellow Springs, have tried to let non-citizens vote in local contests. Joining us on the podcast this week is Representative Bill Seitz, one of the Republican co-sponsors of the Ohio legislation that advanced this non-citizen prohibition regarding elections. Representative Seitz, welcome to Snollygoster. Uh, great to be with you and uh, and uh, look forward to the discussion. So as I said, it is already illegal for non-citizens to vote in Ohio. Why add it to the Constitution? Uh, the main reason to add it to the Constitution is that it is not as clear as you assert because cities in Ohio have uh, the constitutional powers of home rule. And some of them have asserted that their powers of home rule supersede the other constitutional uh, uh, requirement that you be a citizen in order to vote. Now, federal law already requires that you be a citizen in order to vote in federal elections. But the prohibition is not as clear when it comes to state and local elections. We saw Yellow Springs amend their charter uh, to permit non-citizens to vote in local elections. Just last month, uh, we caught uh, Chris Ronane, who's running for Cuyahoga County Executive, on tape saying that if any mayor in Cuyahoga County wanted to extend the franchise to non-citizens, he would stand by that mayor. Uh, we have seen in many other cities around the country a growing trend on the coasts to allow non-citizens to vote in local elections. From New York City to San Francisco to 11 towns in Maryland, two towns in Vermont, and most recently, uh, the DC Washington, D.C. City Council voted 10 to 1 to extend the franchise not only to legal aliens residing in D.C., but also illegal aliens residing in D.C. Now, so these, getting, yeah, so getting these bad ideas on the coast have a way of worming their way into the heartland. And that is why in issue two, we are seeking to join red states like Arizona and Florida and blue states like Colorado and Minnesota in making it explicit that only citizens may vote in any state or local election in Ohio. Now, isn't Secretary LaRose striking down the Yellow Springs effort evidence that existing law is working? No, it is evidence that Yellow Springs didn't have the money to challenge his determination. The worry is that efforts like the ones you're talking about in Cuyahoga County or anywhere else where they may have the money that they could challenge state law and then eventually non-citizens be voting here in Ohio. Uh, that is correct. That is correct. And it is particularly pernicious as applied to cities in Ohio, because we are one of the very few states that allow cities, uh, by vote of their people, to tax the incomes of non-resident workers who don't live in the city, but work in the city. And so <laughs> this is why folks who live in the unincorporated areas, in the townships, for example, uh, have a keen interest in reining in these rogue cities that might decide to go down this road. Is there any reason why this is going on a high stakes ballot, such as Governor and J.D. Vance up for election on the U.S. Senate against Tim Ryan? Is there any effort here to motivate the Republican base to get out to vote? 
Well, if that was the motivation, then tell me why uh, all of the uh, Democrats in the Ohio Senate uh, joined all of the Republicans in putting it on the ballot. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I, just a question. Ohio has a long tradition of letting 17-year-olds vote in elections when they are going to be 18 before the general election. And some experts have said that this amendment could endanger that. You've said this is a non-issue. Why is that? Uh, I've said it is a red herring for four reasons. First, nothing in the debate over uh, the uh, placement of this issue on the ballot uh, on the part of the proponents uh, said anything whatsoever about trying to restrict the longstanding statute from 1981 that allows 17-year-olds to vote in primaries when they turn 18 uh, by the general election. That's number one. Number two, the 18-year-old limitation is already a part of the Ohio Constitution. So uh, if it hasn't interfered with 17-year-old voting since 1981, why would it do so now? Third, even if the proponents of this argument uh, are somehow correct, uh, we would still have to find someone withstanding to sue uh, to litigate the matter and uh, take it through the courts. And I just don't think it's likely that anyone would seek to upset the longstanding tradition dating back to 1981 that allows not, uh, uh, 17 year olds to vote if they're gonna be 18 by the general election date. And fourth, we check the numbers. There are only 574 17 year olds that voted in the May 2022 uh, primary uh, statewide. So that is a vanishingly small number out of the 11.7 million Ohioans that live here and uh, a number that would not have affected the outcome of any of the elections in the May primary. I, I do just want to play one piece of sound for you real quick. WOSU did a story on this last week. And as you said, we, we could not get a clear answer on whether it will certainly affect elections. We did talk to Ohio State law professor Stephen Huffner. He's an election law expert who has worked for several federal judges. He's also worked in the Office of the Legal Counsel for the U.S. Senate. Here is what he said about issue two potentially affecting those those 17-year-olds. So this new sentence, no person who lacks those qualifications, could be construed to mean no person who is not of the age of 18 shall be permitted to vote at any state or local election held in this state. And again, that would require someone to, to challenge the issue of 17-year-olds voting in these local elections. Getting now to this idea of, an, of enforcement, is this also targeted at non-citizens who want to vote, or is it mainly targeted at governments? Well, it is, it is, it is uh, targeted at governments who would seek to extend the franchise to non-citizens. Uh, I'm not aware of any major developed country in the world that allows non-citizens to vote in their elections. Uh, I think this is a, a bad move. I think it cheapens the value of citizenship one of the great prerogatives and prizes of becoming a citizen and swearing your allegiance to the United States of America is the right to vote. And if that is now going to be uh, uh, frivolously dissembled upon non-citizens, it seems to me that we have taken away one of the primary incentives for people to go through the rigorous process of becoming a legal citizen uh, and thereby gaining the right to vote. Uh, what are your thoughts on the security of Ohio's election system in general? Do you have any, any any concerns about the way elections are administered, and do you have any concerns about the validity of results? Uh, well, I think no one uh, could come up with any credible allegations that anything was wrong 
with the way Ohio voted in 2020. Uh, I think that's been clear. No one challenged the results. Uh, we have strong election laws in Ohio. I know because I've been behind uh, many legislative initiatives that have passed that guarantee uh, strong election security measures. Uh, the old phrase of uh, Lieutenant Governor Husted when he was Secretary of State, we want to make it easy to vote and hard to cheat, uh, has been proven to be true in Ohio. And since I am not a resident of any of these other states, I cannot <laughs> comment on what did or did not happen in those other states. Well, that's a that's that's a that's a good answer, Bill. Your your PR people will be glad you said that. Bill Seitz is a Republican representative in Ohio. He's one of the GOP sponsors of the legislation that led to issue two, which would ban non-citizens from voting in Ohio. Representative Seitz, thanks so much for joining Snollygoster. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Have a great election day, and we'll find out on November 9th what the results are, we hope. Time now for our Snollygoster of the Week segment, which we give out to the shrewdest political move or politician of the week. And this week, it is going to whoever runs the White House's Twitter account, because they had an ill... An ill-advised tweet, I would call it. Um, they put out a tweet uh, bragging, I think I would say, about Social Security recipients getting their largest cost of living increase in 10 years. That's coming in January. Yes, good news. Social Security checks are going to go up by, what, 9% or so? Yeah, it's going to help my mom out a lot. It's going to help out everyone who's on Social Security. But why is it going up, Steve? Because it is tied to inflation. Oh. It's like Ohio's a minimum wage. It automatically goes up as inflation goes up. Yeah, so they're basically touting that <laughs> everyone's cost of living yeah. has gone up 9% in the past year. And that tweet was deleted. Very shrewd. It was very shrewd. Anyway, so the White House Twitter account, you get our Snollygoster of the Week award. If you have a suggestion for next week, you can send it to us at snollygoster at WOSU.org. As always, be sure to leave us a good review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcast. For our intern, Katie Genius, our audio producer, Eric French, and our web producer, Michael DeBonis, I'm Steve Brown. And I'm Mike Thompson for Snollygoster from WOSU Public Media.